Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome back, everyone, on this episode, a conversation with former Major Leaguer Chris Dickerson, who's been incredibly active with some important issues since ending a 15-year professional baseball career that ended in 2017 and included parts of two seasons with the New York Yankees. Dickerson has taken on a number of pursuits in his post-playing days aimed at bettering both the game he loves and the world around him. As the leader of Players for the Planet, Dickerson is helping players get involved in the protection of natural resources and other conservation efforts, which he says is about more than just being green. He recently led a group of several star players, including Robinson Cano, Nelson Cruz, and Wander Franco, on a beach cleanup mission in the Dominican Republic, which was featured on Good Morning America and other outlets. As part of more than baseball, Dickerson, who played in almost three times as many minor league games as he did major league games, is trying to help the plight of minor leaguers whose meager salaries and living conditions came more into focus in 2021. As part of the Players Alliance, Dickerson has worked closely with Curtis Granderson and other African-American players to broaden their participation in both playing and running the game at the professional level. Some form of coaching might still be in his future, as he recently reached out to his former manager in Baltimore, Buck Showalter, about future possibilities with Showalter's new team, the New York Mets. And of some relevance to the game right now, Dickerson also had experience with the Players Union's executive board, serving on that committee for each of the previous two CBA negotiations prior to this one. So we get his perspective on how those negotiations shaped where the game is today and what can be done about it. All this and more in this conversation with Chris Dickerson. Chris, first thing I want to ask you is Players for the Planet describes its mission as working to unite all athletes to bring lasting and measurable transformation to the earth. That's a mouthful and it's quite a... Um, it's quite Sounds good, ambitious. doesn't it? Sounds yeah, it good, does. doesn't it? It does. And it's quite ambitious for a former Major League Baseball player. So how and why did this become your project? Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting when you, when you get that read back to you, um, you know, what kind of what that mission statement entails and what the weight of it is. And, um, you know, we did this three, God, we did the, the kind of the rebrand three or four years ago. And, you know, I think we only had a handful of players, probably maybe only 30 or 40 players. Um, you know, and it was in a particular time where I was just getting out of the game and trying to rebuild it and kind of under, you know, understanding what the potential was as opposed to, you know, where we're at now and understand and being in the middle of the full potential. Um, but yeah, in, when I started this in 2008, you know, I just wanted to make it, um, make a program, do my own part to bring together individuals, like-minded individuals, such as myself, professional athletes that we're looking to do to, to make a change and to encourage and inspire others for best practices when it comes to the environmental responsibility. And so, you know, it started out with 10 guys and, you know, they're all just like local SoCal buddies, you know, Jeff Jenkins, Chase Utley, Ryan Braun, Matt Cat, Matt and Jack Castle. And, um, but, you know, just kind of establishing 
that there is, you know, that there is a movement that we, the idea that we can use our platform as professional athletes for good. And this was before social media, which was, you know, unlocks the true power of, um, you know, social movements and being able to share and generate content and education awareness around some of these issues. So, you know, we're kind of, um, you know, we're kind of on the upswing, you know, right now. And a large part of that was our beach cleanup in the Dominican Republic and having Robinson Cano, having Nelson Cruz and having that influence within baseball. Um, and that was basically kind of like the peak moment of the, the embodiment of that statement that you just, that you just said is to bring together athletes to unify under, you know, a common goal or a common banner to preserve our natural environment. And since that day, we've had such an enormous increase in athlete participation, obviously within major league baseball. Um, but now branching out to the NHL, to NWSL, to the NFL, um, you know, it's really has been quite the journey and what these guys have been able to accomplish in 2021, Tony Kemp, Paul DeYoung, Nelson Cruz, um, you know, you know, as far as what they've done off the field with their environmental initiatives has been inspiring to watch them, their commitment, their enthusiasm and their dedication to the cause and to their community has been um, it's been pretty amazing to watch. Chris, this is not an easy sell to a young professional athlete. You know, you, you have, you know, you were you were this person once, but you had to have singular focus and you're focused, you know, you're focusing on your career, which eventually entails making a lot of money and doing all the fun things you can do with that. How do you get young success? You mentioned some really good players and people are making a lot of money, successful young athletes. How are you convincing young players that this is a cause that they should not not only care about, but be involved in to that extent? Well, you know, it's easy. It's, it's probably easier now than it's ever been before, because you have to understand that when I started this in 2008, 2009, you know, going green, it was just a buzzword. It was like a corporate buzzword, like, oh, go green, go green, you know, use a reusable bag and, you know, drive an electric car and all this stuff. It was like, okay, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, there's so many, it's so complex and it's so vast as to what the issues are. And now this generation has seen the lack of action those 10 years in which I, the first 10 years that I started it to where now you're getting these athletes that are like, Oh my God, if we really don't do something, we're going to be left with this, with this enormous problem. And we're, this is, this is going to be my life. This is our generation's um, life. This is what we're going to inherit. And I think that has been, the sole reason for this, um, this revelation in this younger generation, these minor league players, these college student athletes that are studying environmental science, you know, while they're playing baseball, while they're playing lacrosse. And when they get to that professional level, being able to join the ranks of other professional athletes that are working towards, towards a common goal. And so when I get these emails from these young kids and these young players, they're so far ahead of the curve from even where I was in 2008. They've studied this, they volunteered with that. They've worked with this group in their, you know, this conservation group in their own, you know, their own uh, hometown in the off season. So it's getting these voices on board is really um, been interesting to watch because I feel like there's a, a true sense of urgency as opposed to some of the old school guys. And with that, uh, you know, with that, um, you know, at the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, you do have old school guys like the Evan Longoria's, like, you know, the Kurt, you know, like even Curtis, but in that span from 2008, having kids and becoming a parent and seeing and being able to travel and seeing the benefits of being environmentally responsible in other countries are, you know, when traveling with Curtis in, in Europe and in Holland and Paris and all these places, he's like, dude, it's, this is how it's supposed to be done. And seeing Evan, now that he has three kids, you know, planting trees and trying to instill environmental values to his kids on why it's important to protect the planet. So it's been, it's really interesting. You know, this might be a little bit of a reach. So tell me if it is, but um, your, your cleanup in the DR, your beach cleanup in the DR got, you know, you were on Good Morning America with this, you know, you got some good pub out of this. So people are reaching, but what you're talking about, you know, there's, um, is it maybe easier for some of the ball ballplayers, uh, Dominican and other Latin American countries, 
who have started to make some money but came from poor backgrounds? Is it easier for them to get involved here and try to you know, do some good in their areas, in their hometowns and places that are still maybe poverty stricken. And, you know, uh, listen, Roberto Clemente is from Puerto Rico, but his influence in the Latin American community overall is huge. And I'm wondering if all of that kind of plays into their willingness to help you in this cause. Yeah, hundred percent. And, um, you know, speaking of large contracts, you know, I told you the story of seeing Wander Franco, you know, at eight, eight o'clock in the morning at the, at the interceptor before we departed for the, um, the ocean cleanup tour. And he had just finished, uh, inking his, you know, 12 year, his 12 year deal. So, but having guys in Nelson with, you know, with, you know, who've made hundreds of millions of dollars in their career and be able to come together and draw a framework to how, we can help these impoverished areas. How can we give them access? What the programs in place can look like, and where where some of that money can go? And it's no, you know, it's no secret to where you know Nelson, what Nelson has done with his money. You know, Roberto Clemente, award winner. You know, he's bought, he basically bought his entire hometown. You know, a fire, a fire station. You know, the PPE supplies, um, the medical care that he's provided. So these guys understand the understand the benefit of giving back to the community, but more so just having that veteran presence within the country, within the community of baseball and Dominican players to look to these beacons of hope and understanding um, that they can replicate that when they do get these deals. So hopefully when, you know, when you show up and you have a Wander Franco standing next in the middle of a canoe and a, in a Nelson Cruz, you know, chances are they're in good hands and they're, they're, um, you know, they're leading by example is ultimately what we want and having, you know, then having, you know, Luis Urias, you know, come out to the cleanup and Willie Adamas, all this new generation being able to look up to the guys that, that preceded them and their, and their efforts to give back to the community, to address the plastic pollution, to address access, to address education. Um, so it's a very exciting time right now. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Notice one of your other endeavors, more than baseball, includes Slade Heathcott, who was part of Players for the Planet. And I talked to Slade um, a couple of years ago about more than baseball and what his mission is. It's basically, you know, making uh, lives better for minor league players. We know all the costs they incur, how hard it can be before you make any real money in the major leagues. Now, it was viewed as a victory, I think, Chris, that major league teams are now going to have to provide the housing for minor league players but was it a real victory? Did it come at a cost because they basically slashed a bunch of minor league teams and what, you know, they're, they're saving money on certain teams. And now, you know, it, it is a real victory because there are now fewer minor league players to actually worry about. You know, I, it's a, obviously it's a highly debated um, conversation and in, in concept. Um, you know, you talk about the, the, the surplus of minor league players. I mean, if you talk about, you know, 30 rounds of guys. Yeah, it's great for it to give more opportunities, but a lot of those, you know, players do end up kind of being roster fillers and repeating in lower leagues. And it's not necessarily part of, you know, the, the competition where they're really excelling at a major league level. So in that regard, you have that percentage that, you know, don't, 
don't have the the skill set that is attractive to the major league pro, you know, major league teams and, and the higher levels. So condensing that down gives you more concentrated um, talent base and maybe even higher turnover to where those kids that do struggle in those lower leagues, you know, they're going to be, they're going to have the opportunity, but it's going to go through the draft league to really assess if that, if they're going to, if their baseball journey is going to continue. So with that being said, but with the players that do, um, you know, that are in the system, you know, it's, it's so incredibly difficult. I mean, you know, living with four or five guys in the, in the same, in the same place and, um, you know, looking at the numbers, making $2,500 a month for six, for six months is just, is absolutely insanity. And the fact that they phrase it as, um, I believe they call it, um, volunteer, um, no, not volunteers, seasonal interns, yeah. which is such a slap in the face, trying to compare professional baseball players playing at the high, at one of the highest level playing at this high, this high level, taking 12 hour bus rides, um, you know, 12 hour bus rides and playing, you know, double headers in, you know, in Chattanooga, Tennessee in the middle of summer, and then spending, you know, 12, 13 hours at, at the field is not a seasonal intern. Um, so, that is, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's, it, it's demeaning to a sense. Um, and you know, and they, to, to pay people like that because of the effort is so, is so, is so great. Um, you know, from these players to try to excel and get to them to the next level. Um, and that housing, it's difficult. You know, some of these places, they do have reserve housing that players have play, stayed in the past, but other than that, not everybody is going to be on the same level, you know, you have 40 men, you know, guys on the 40 man roster where it is a little bit easier, but other than that, you know, you play in some of these cities that might be a little bit more expensive. Like, you know, sure. You, you know, rent is like $1,800 in like, you know, Chattanooga, Tennessee for a two bedroom apartment. But you know, at that rate, you're going to have to have three roommates. Um, so, you know, it's, I love the organization because it's bringing awareness to the plight, the true plight of the minor league player. Um, you know, how, um, you know, the financial struggles that they, that they have. And there have been several players, really talented players that even I played with in the Arizona fall league that, you know, had to retire because they simply couldn't make, you know, that money. And, you know, uh, you know, they had professional decisions to make either they have job operates where they can step out and make six figures, start a family and have some security or keep making, you know, 2,500, you know, $12,000 a year and really struggling. So having that barrier of entry to that next phase of your life, which is starting a family and having some, you know, security. Um, so it's an incredibly um, important group that I'm proud to be a part of. And, um, you know, and I, and I hope that it, it continues to grow and there's more attention and there are more um, amenities and not necessarily amenities, but more more commitment, more of a financial commitment to, um, you know, to the, to, to these minor leaguers resources from, you know, transitioning out of baseball to transitioning in and just kind of keeping track of, of that, that professional journey. You know, and, and I think it's important to remember, you know, kind of call you a former professional baseball player, not just former major league baseball players. Certainly there are people listening here who were Yankee fans who remember your name, right. And, and you play with a couple other teams too, but you know, you played in a little over 350 major league games in a professional career that lasted 15 years. Um, I know they were concentrated in a few years, but on average, your professional career, you played 21 big league games a year. Um, and it made me think of Crash Davis uh, describing his 21 glorious days in the big leagues. So, you know, uh, and, and telling every all these minor league kids about what it was like to play in the big leagues for just that one brief time. Did you I mean? Was the, was the contrast that stark to you because you spent so much time in the minors and, and spotted time in the big leagues? Could you, what, did it feel like a big gap to you every time you went up and down from majors to minors? Yeah, it's enormous. And that really hadn't happened until I got New York uh, um, to New York. You know, I, you know, I came up in, you know, a, a crowded system in, in Cincinnati and, you know, Joey and I, Joey, me and Jay kind of coming up within, you know, months apart, Joey in 2007, as part of a September call-up, Joe, Joe, or um, um, Jay, the first part of 08, and then me coming in 09 as a result of the Adam Dunn and Griffey trade. So, you know, it was, it was really crowded. And I often wonder what that, you know, what the, 
how that would have been expedited. Starting my big league career would have been expedited, you know, before that, if I was in a different organization. But besides that, when I did get called up, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010, and then, you know, going to the Yankees in 2011, I had never been back. So I had three consecutive years where I've never had to go back. So, you know, when I was traded over there, that was the first time that I really experienced having to go up and back and forth. And that was, t- that was tough because it is stark. And I remember the first time that I went to Scranton, I was, I was depressed. I, you know, my mom was there and I remember I was close to tears because I, you know, I hated playing in Scranton. I couldn't believe that I was back there after three, you know, three and a half years of playing in the big leagues. And, um, you know, Scranton is not, is not the greatest place to, to play. It was at the old stadium. It was just kind of a miserable, um, you know, kind of uh, a place to be in. Um, you know, and I had to get over it and, it and it ended up carrying over, you know, into, you know, my play on the field is just, you know, kind of, kind of just kind of going through the motions and, um, you know, mentally and physically, um, you know, taking those bus rides and eating, you know, the, the food and, you know, those getaway days where you're eating pizza and you're getting leftovers from the concession stand. I mean, it's a stark contrast and realities in how minor leaguers are, minor leaguers are treated as opposed to, to big leaguers. You know, you go to New York and you have a seafood tower and, you know, we're in, um, you know, you're in, you know, Syracuse, New York eating, you know, chicken sandwiches from, you know, from the, con- from the concession, from the concession stand. So it's, it's, it's wildly, wildly different. Um, and it's, you know, it's not something that I enjoyed, but after a while you, you, you mature and you understand that you have a single job to do and that's to get the hell out of there as soon as possible. And with that being said, your focus becomes more intense on what you can do to fill those gaps and to get back and whether that's, and a lot of that stuff is out of your control too. You know, there may not be a a spot, obviously coming back in New York, they picked up Ichiro and then the next year, Raul and having that veteran presence. So that was, um, you know, that was a, a tough pill to swallow, but, you know, I understood that when I did, when I was with the big league club, you know, simply, I just, you know, played my ass off. And I think that's what a lot of the Yankees fans respected is that, you know, my time there, I, you know, tried to play with my hair, you know, like my hair was on fire. Um, and, you know, so you, 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 uh, you know, adopt and you relish in the experience of, you know, being in the big leagues um, and, um, you know, and do your best to get out of the minor leagues as much as possible. But yeah, it is a, it's a, it's an incredibly stark contrast going back and forth and looking back and then towards the end of my career and finishing in 17, you know, in the minor leagues. And ultimately it was so bad that I was just like, I cannot go back. I, you know, at this, at this point, I do just simply do not wish to go through minor league baseball and, you know, showing up to another minor league stadium at, you know, at my age and li- with limited facilities to get ready, limited um, resources to get treatment, um, to kind of to, to get ready and to kind of to sustain yourself throughout an entire season. And ultimately, so yeah, that is the answer. The stark contrast is ultimately what led me to be like, okay, I'm done. I, ca- I can't, I can't do another minor league um, stint again. Even through all that ups and downs of, of a professional career. I mean, you talked about how early in your career that you, you know, you latched onto players for the planet and this idea um, we're talking about more than baseball. So your, your time as like activist uh, is still, you know, you're still kind of supercharged by all this, even though some of the baseball parts can drag you up and down depending on how the career is going. And along those lines, you um, you're part of the players Alliance too. And I know that some of the guys you played with in New York are part of this, like uh, like Curtis Granderson, C. Sabathia. Uh, I want to read for everybody what, you know, the vision of the Players Alliance, how this reads uh, on your website. It says, we seek equal opportunity in our game for the Black community at every level, from the field to the front office, to combat racial prejudice and ensure a future for our sport that provides a level playing field for all. Now, it didn't just... Um, occur to everybody in 2020 it but a a greater light shined on it because of things that happened in 2020 um how how have you seen growth have you seen progress have you seen the things that you guys talked about and wanted to accomplish with players alliance has there been any real progress yet yeah i absolutely absolutely i think there's you know by putting the wheels in motion i think there's greater there's a greater urge to unite 
um, you know, communities of color with, you know, within, within baseball and to, to get them equal access to equal access and seeing the response from the teams, um, the major league teams to continue to support the programming and extend the programming into some of these, you know, untouched resources or untapped resources in these untouched communities within these major league markets. Um, but just the conversation around profiling and profiling and, you know, prom promoting the image of, of, of black baseball in the country has, has grown significantly since, um, you know, we started doing the, the players Alliance. And I think in time will tell to see what the, the, the lasting effect is as, you know, we've made these tours through that throughout the country, providing baseball equipment. And I think ultimately what happens there is, you know, is to monitor the follow-up, how many more kids are, have been involved in baseball programs, how many more have picked up, you know, were picked up in leagues and playing travel baseball and getting opportunities within the game and the front office as, you know, we continue along with this journey. So I think in, in two years time, I think we'll have um, a better understanding um, from a quantifiable um, place to see exactly what the result of, of, of this, this kind of this, this, um, um, the, the beginning of this program, but, you know, moving forward, I think um, with the plans, is they're, you know, they're tremendous as far as, you know, how do we really shine a spotlight on this, this amazing talent um, around the country um, that, uh, you know, not only just not only on the baseball field, but in the classroom and, and, and being, you know, getting opportunities in the front office through the diversity program and the MLB diversity pipeline is identifying these places in all these different areas in which MLB can help support and then guiding these individuals into the funnel of the, some of these systems to gain access to some of these positions. And ultimately that's what, that's what we wanted. And that, yeah. and that's what's happening. And it's, and it's, it's excellent. Is um, listen, the part of the goal isn't just getting black players involved in playing the game, but obviously you mentioned, you know, front office positions, coaching, managing, but it seems like that's getting harder to accomplish and maybe even more so because major league baseball playing experience is no longer a prerequisite for getting a coaching job or a managing job. So uh, as you see where these positions are going, listen, you hear people say you have to see it to believe it, right? Whether you're talking about Kim Ang as a general manager or Rachel Balkovic as a hitting coach or first as hitting coach as a minor league manager in the Yankees organization, um, you have to see an example of it. That's getting harder to do is, is the idea that they're looking for people who aren't necessarily the traditional types of coaches anymore or managers, is that hurting this effort because there are fewer black players playing to begin with. And now you're going to all these other places, you know, and, and, and it seems to be fewer avenues to get to these jobs you're talking about. You know what, that is a theory that Curtis and I talked about one time. It's like, if you look at the, if you look at the journey of most black players, especially the great ones, there aren't because there's such a, because there's such a small population of players, that the players that do go on usually end up having 10, 12 year big league careers. I mean, they're stars. You talk about, you know, the Edwin Jackson's, the, the Cameron Mabins, the, you know, Tory hunters, like they're stars in the game. And when you have 13, 14 year careers, you don't really want to go back into the game and manage, you know? So, um, and you see a lot of, um, you know, you see a lot of catchers getting managerial positions. They're not a whole lot. hasn't been a black catcher since Charles Johnson. Yeah. So these, so the great minds, you know, in the game are you, you know, that are, are catchers and that's not necessarily a position that most, most people take off. And you're already talking about, uh, you know, tending to such an incredibly small sample size of kids that have, of color that are even playing baseball in the, in the first, in the first place. So that's, that is a very difficult thing, but um, when talking about getting a sports coming out of college, um, you know, as you know, as well, if there's an opportunity there um, for individuals to pursue positions in sports, that's there because there's no, you know, there's no shortage of, of you know, of, 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 of kids at HBCU programs that are, that are going to come out looking for positions in sports. That's great. But we do need to increase the on-field um, presence in, you know, in youth baseball, in college baseball. Um, and ultimately like that's, you know, that's going to, how it's going to happen. Cause that is the Avenue. Um, and like you said, it's not necessarily a pre prerequisite. Um, so I think that's one of the things that's going to be, have to be talked about is like how, 
what are the coaching development programs? Like how, even if these, you know, these kids of color that don't make it to the big leagues that don't have the resume and are interested in getting into coaching, what is that, what is that journey and how can we help provide those resources to get into the game, to become minor league, um, you know, coordinators, to become hitting coaches, infield coaches, um, roving coordinators, or into the an analytics department. Um, so, you know, the problem is vast, it, it's complex. And, um, you know, luckily, you know, over time, it's something that we'll get to. It's not gonna be, it's not gonna be immediate. You know, this whole process is a marathon. You know, it's not a sprint. We're not automatically gonna solve every, um, you know, every hole in, you know, every hole in this, um, in, the, in the issue. Um, so, but that's a great point. And it's something that we're, I know we're looking forward to, um, to attending to. Chris, one of the other interesting things on your uh, resume is that you were uh, for two different CBA negotiations, a member of the Players Association's executive board. Um, and you went through a couple of negotiations that did not end in disputes or work stoppages, but they were pretty significant, I think, to why we are where we are now. Um, 2012 and 2017 both kind of led us here, uh, based on the victories that the owners won over the players in those two negotiations. And the first thing I really want to ask you about it is, did you know at the time, were you aware at the time that the owners had taken a little bit more control away from the players and were, and you were heading in this direction eventually? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, starting in 2012, I mean, these bargaining agreements never, you know, go off without a hitch. I mean, obviously there's always disagreement, but 2012 was, you know, was, a was a seemingly, seemingly de decent year. I think going into it, um, every, uh, bargaining agreement is basically like a, a call to arms, um, in the sense that I know that they, you know, when we get our checks back, you know, a lot of that, a lot of the money is withheld in the case that we go into a bargaining agreement and they have to have the operating capital capital in a lockout. So, you know, it's, it's interesting when we get our checks and they're kind of um, you know, they're, they're basically partial checks is because they're basically withholding emergency funds in the case, you know, that we're exactly where we're at now. And in 2017 um, you know, that was um, you know, looking at the international draft, looking at the, you know, the luxury tax, especially the competitive balance, that's when things really started to get chippy. And that was the, that was the one year, I think the culmination of that, you know, up in the ballroom, as I told you at three forty-five, four o'clock in the morning and, you know, having Tony come in and say, Hey, you know, be prepared. If this doesn't happen, you know, and he looked around the room and said, you know, you guys take care of yourselves. Um, you know, kind of calling to, you know, this, you know, this collection, this collective, this family aspect, we're like, okay, you know, when this happens, just be prepared to, to support each other. Um, however, however you seem, seem fit. And that was, uh, you know, as you can imagine, that was a huge, uh, raise of the eyebrow and that essentially set the stage for this bargaining agreement in which we knew that it would probably result in a lockout or a very, um, you know, a dirty, a dirty fight. And that's exactly what this has been, you know, 2020, we saw that, um, we saw the beginning of that. And, and I think it's just been, it's been, uh, inevitable, honestly. Um, when we had that, uh, you know, the leaked files, the leaked comments about, you know, what's going on in the league office and how players are responding to it. And, you know, the ready, we're ready to play campaign. It was already, there was so much friction, going into this and now here we are we're back to back to the table and you know looking back you know we talked about this yesterday you know maybe it wasn't necessary to talk you know to have the media in there to put time limits on the media in the clubhouse or have the extra seat on the bus or have the you know the after game and um you know the after game and uh, engagement and um you know looking at the rights to equipment and memorabilia, all stuff that the team can take. And, you know, which is, is exactly is some of those things that, you know, that we lost is where they can essentially just come into our locker and take our stuff with, you know, with, with, with no announcement and have, you know, and then have that to be sold on MLB auction sites and team sites. So taking that from, 
you know, taking that, that identity and that property, that property, essentially that property, the, the name, the likeness, um, um, away and gaining more control over that, um, you know, it's, uh, that was in that, that was an issue. And so these, these issues started to compound in, in understanding the amount of power and the amount of control that's been, that's been taken away over seemingly small issues. Um, where we really should have gone, um, you know, gone for, gone for the jugular. And I remember talking to Daniel, um, uh, Daniel Murphy, and he's just so, you know, just the, the passion in which he speaks about how much we gave up in, you know, in, you know, the, the media rights and um, the media rights, the, per, the personal periods, the personal involvement, the control and the, the duties and the responsibilities to MLB that should be focused on player and um, players association support to grow and to, to benefit the player side as opposed to the, the, the corporation. And so, you know, now we, you know, we're here and the, in the, the free agent thing, and this has again, been a long time coming and this is part of the trend of baseball and the phasing out of older, older players and individuals based on these metric systems yeah. and this data the collection of data that can then be used against you in free agency. And that's exactly what we saw 2014, um, 2015 in Toronto, 2016, this became, um, this became an issue because of the, of the wearables and the wearables knowing that this could then be used against you in negotiations or, you know, free agency because they have collected so much data on your performance that they can then use this in arbitration and be like, Hey, listen, you're actually slowing down. You're actually doing this. Um, so again, getting control and, you know, diminishing the, the wearables, you know, pr programs that were, you know, being done by, you know, strength and conditioning programs. Um, you know, that was a big thing is to not give them any more leverage to, to not give them any more leverage to, to have in this battle against free agency and the, and, you know, this contracts. And so, um, you know, we talked about this earlier is that now the con, you know, the control from when you get into the system, the six years that you're under control to the arbitration and in which they're, you know, they're clearly, you know, tampering with that as well as we know, we've seen all these high profile prospects being held back in April and May to avoid the super two. And now we're looking at the prime career, when you're going in your 30, 31, 31, 32, which is now considered old by some means in a, in an effort to not, um, you know, to, to, to minimize the, you know, the, the payment structure for, for free agency. And that is, you know, going into the wallet and basically affecting not only just your job and your longevity in the game, but also, you know, your, 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 per, your personal financial well-being, And that's, a, that's a, that's a big one. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Chris, how, how much was this a focus just amongst the players themselves? I mean, were you guys telling each other we're giving away too much and we're focusing on too much on things like the meals in the clubhouse and the extra this, the seat on the bus? Were, were, were you guys fighting amongst each other five years ago that you were giving away too many big picture things in order for more personal, comfortable type of things? 
Yeah, in retrospect, um, you know, I don't think there was uh, there was really disagreement. I didn't, you know, I don't think there was ever like the tension to where you have like two sides of the board and you're probably like imagining, you know, like <laughs> Democrats or Republicans sh- shouting across the, the aisle at each other. But, um, you know, I definitely think those concerns, the meals were, 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 we're actually a big one just because of the, the, the vast um, discrepancies in, in clubhouse meals and the nutrition provided is, is a big issue. You spend close to 11 hours at the field, you eat three of your meals at the, at the stadium. So if you go into a Cincinnati and they have, you know, they have tacos and um, um, skyline chili dogs before like that's, that's unacceptable. So, you know, shoring that up, um, it, it w- was a big deal, but like you said, some of the other things are, you know, they're just, you know, they're peripheral and not necessarily what we really need to be focusing on, um, knowing that this machine of major league baseball was going to keep moving forward and trying to find opportunities to gain, gain back that control. And now we're faced with this, this uphill battle to where it's going to be a, you know, difficult, a difficult needle to move. I'm, my goal in asking you this isn't to make you choose one over the other, but I'm just curious to see what you think is a bigger issue. The team's not spending at the bottom and tanking or the team's not spending at the top because of luxury tax concerns, even though the mon- the game is flush with money um, and they're drawing their own line because of the way the tax structure operates, which is one of those a bigger concern to you than the other? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it, it differs at the bottom because, you know, like I said, it's like, you know, a perfect example is, you know, you have Pittsburgh, Tampa, Oakland, um, um, in San Diego for, you know, for a, a portion of time there, Kansas City, where, you know, they've, they've been regulars in the, the bottom five, but then, you know, out of nowhere, you have a, a team like San Diego that claims that they don't have the money and they go on a spending spree that's, that hasn't, that hasn't been seen, you know, by the likes that hasn't been seen since the Yankees, you know, since the Yankees or even the, the Dodgers. Um, and so that is proof that these teams, you know, that's oftentimes some of these teams are withholding. And so that's very frustrating to where teams can basically kind of, you know, say they're going to revamp and they're going to, you know, they're going to do a revamp year, but then all of a sudden can find, you know, this, you know, are flush with cash to go out on free agent spending sprees, Um, you know, and then on the contrary, you do have teams like Tampa that are going to consistently suffer because of attendance, because of their own logistical issues. Um, you know, the, you know, the, you know, Marlins park in Tampa being where it is and, you know, the, the low attendance and be able to generate that revenue that can be then translated into free agency purchases. Um, and then, you know, in Oakland, and it, it's kind of like, you look at these, it's all, it's a lot of it's facility based, you know, the Marlins being where there are not be able to attract, um, you know, have a, a consistent fan base in Tampa being essentially like out in the middle of nowhere, but nowhere near anybody that really wants to get to, to a game, even though that they're one of the most exciting teams in baseball every year. And they're being able to put together these incredible teams with, you know, by their bootstraps. And then Oakland, you know, Oakland, you know, watch, watch, watching to go see Tony Kemp play on a Wednesday game in Oakland was just, you know, it's, you know, it's rough. There's, you know, there's like 9,000 people there. So, but all of these teams thrive through their minor league system. And now you have these owners that feel like they're not responsible for being responsible for, the investment into the minor league or into the scouting, into the facilities in the minor leagues. And that's a big problem is where these teams are thriving with these minor league, with the minor league personnel and the coaching and the philosophies that are making these teams contenders, despite um, uh, low, low payroll and, and, and um, revenue resources that they're now, you know, starting this, um, you know, this, this narrative within the owners that they shouldn't be responsible. And so that again is a really big issue, um, that, you know, that we're, that we're up against and, you know, you, you have teams that are openly comfortable with, with not spending, you know, Colorado was six in attendance last year and they didn't, they didn't spend anything, but they understand because of, again, the importance of the venue is that they just simply generate a ton of revenue because people it's, you know, it's considered like the largest outdoor bar in the country because it's the most, one of the most beautiful stadiums in the country. And regardless, people want to come out and enjoy the scenery, the, being in Denver, the sunshine, the air, you know, the view, 
it's beautiful. So not having to spend, they're still going to make, you know, they're still going to make their money regardless of the product that they put on the field because of the atmosphere that they have at the stadium. And, um, you know, like I said, it's complex, it's incredibly complex and, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, and it's unfortunate they got to a point of no return and then seeing the delay and the unwillingness to reconvene um, over some of these issues and the abbreviated session that happened where I believe it was, you know, it was like a 25 minute session and they came back with their proposal and simply shut it down. So, it, I mean, it's, it's rough, man. It's, it's, it's rough. By the time so you, yeah. there's going to be hopefully a little bit more movement and we'll see what happens. Yeah. And Obviously, yeah. And you said it yesterday, you know, the luxury tax, essentially you're, you're subsidizing these, you know, these low payroll teams to, you know, to, to, to increase, um, you know, their, their talent profile and increase their resources. And, you know, ultimately those teams are going to, those are going to be the same teams that are going to come out, come back and, and beat you. But, um, you know, where this at, you know, we can't, you know, that's been long agreed is that we can't keep having, you know, LA and in, in New York, you know, go on the, you know, with these, these spending wars. And, but, um, you know, like I said, you know, we have the bottom five that are looking for resources from the city and the facilities to draw fans that will then help them compete um, and and get out of that bottom five. And then you have the top teams that simply are going to continue to, um, you know, just through the equity of the club and the organization are going to continue to make, you know, continue to make revenue despite what they put on the field. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Chris, I've got one more for you. Um, we've talked a lot here about all the different things you're involved in, from you know uh, areas of social change, your involvement in the union while you were a player. Um, we've talked about trying to provide <coughs> opportunities for African Americans and coaching and scouting and managing things like that. I mean, general manager, what did is there something you want to do in this game? You know, you're, you're still only a couple of years removed from your playing days and you're a young man and you still have a future in something that you want to do. Clearly, you have a passion for the um, the environmental things that you're involved in and you're getting a, a lot of work done there and putting a lot of time and energy into that. But is there something in the game that you would like to be involved in more? Yeah. And this is a conversation I actually had with Buck um, a couple of weeks ago. I reached out to Buck a couple couple weeks ago because we hadn't we hadn't talked in a couple of months. And I usually still check in with him from time to time because he's just always been one of my favorite people. Um, one of my all time favorite baseball minds. Um, you know, there's you know, everybody knows that Buck's going to give it to you. He's going to give it to you straight. And that's something that I always respect from him. But he's also, you know, he's pretty he's just an incredibly amusing guy. So. You know, I, I sent him kind of a holiday message congratulating him on the on the Mets job. And, you know, it's something that we don't always discuss is what my you know, what my journey was going to be after baseball as far as coaching. Um, it's something that I had pursued and I had looked into with the Yankees as far as like a coordinator job. But again, going back to that minor league question, getting out of them telling you getting out of the game, you do not going back into that minor league life is just something that I wasn't, you know, wasn't prepared to do. And that's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a lonely thing out there. You know, you're on the road 20 days, going to a ball, going to double a, going to triple a, you know, throughout the month, you know, you're back on the road in some of these minor league cities. Um, and so that's just not something where I was at, but, you know, ultimately I would love to get back into the game. You know, I think um, I realized that doing, you know, some of the work on MLB network, um, but, you know, that is something that I want to do and doing the, doing the, the, the diamond demos with, um, you know, with Billy Ripken and doing it with, and with Harold, it definitely, it definitely incites something in you. I'll, I'll be honest with you. And that's something that, um, you know, that Buck and I discussed is, you know, what his coaching staff is going to look like. And if there were, maybe it was an opportunity and he said he was still trying to filter out some, you know, some, some, some things. So I'm not sure what's going to come of it, but it's something that I have been open to, especially seeing, you know, my old teammates, Brett Hayes, my college roommate, you know, becoming the bullpen coach in Texas and seeing how that has um, come to fruition for Kevin, you know, when he, Kevin Cash, when he was in Pawtucket with Boston to having him as a bullpen coach in Cleveland to then immediately getting a managerial job coming straight out of a bullpen coach. So seeing Sam Fold become a GM, Gabe become a, um, you know, a head coach. Um, all these guys that I, we've had very similar, you know, careers with, you know, we weren't necessarily superstars, but we were, you know, we were, you know, versatile 
and, you know, really, you know, versatile defender, you know, defenders and just kind of, you know, baseball players. And so, um, you know, the thoughts crossed my mind, you know, I'm not going to lie. So where that, where that goes, who knows, but, um, you know, right now I'm just focused on, you know, providing opportunities, you know, in both the environmental side and, you know, in, and getting kids of color to, to play, to play this game. And hopefully, you know, maybe I can be one of those examples, you know, as seeing is believing is to have, you know, more coaches and more people in the front office. I did interview for the, you know, the VP of corporate responsibility. And so that was a big thing for me is because, you know, to, of diversity and to show more people, to give more people an example of getting into, you know, the game of baseball and getting into sports, um, you know, so. It's all out there for you. Fortunately. Yeah. I've been, yeah, I've been very fortunate to have, to have, um, you know, great role models that have gone on to do great things, um, in this game and, you know, having my mom and my parents be both, you know, executives in corporate America, understanding the, the importance of diversity and, and broadening your horizons for life off the field. My thanks again to former major leaguer, Chris Dickerson. You can check out the websites for players for the planet and more than baseball to read more about their missions and how you can help. If you're new here, be sure to check out the 30 with Murdy archive at Odyssey or Apple Podcasts. You can go back to hear my conversation with Rico Bronia, the former Mets and Phillies first baseman, who's part of the CBA negotiations during the 1994-95 strike and last year was manager in the Oakland A's system, where he witnessed firsthand what advantages a pitch clock can make on the pace of play. Also check out my conversation with screenwriter and filmmaker Andrew Bergman for some fun stories about his classic comedies like Fletch and Blazing Saddles and many more. Make sure to hit subscribe and review and all that jazz. Also, be sure to check out WFAN's Baseball Insiders. Thoughts from Ed Coleman and me on the Hall of Fame voting in the most recent episode. You can find that, too, at Odyssey and Apple Podcasts. Until next time, I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thanks for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.